Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. This a week we are on part two of the huge annual Fixie Awards. Part one was very exciting. We've gotten a lot of feedback. Uh, <laughs> people agreeing, people disagreeing. Rioting in the mo- streets. <laughs> yeah, but mostly people are just very impressed with part one of the Fixie. So if you haven't listened to that, stop what you're doing, go back, listen to that, then Part two will make a lot more sense. Uh, most people so don't. This, are, it's unusual for someone to be dressed up in a suit on an audio-related uh, podcast. <laughs> you yeah. would think so, but not for the fixies. Yeah. So obviously, I put my suit back on again to walk the red carpet here at the Fixie Awards. And I tend to this, do these naked. Well, you can do them either way, but yeah. just never in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we are going to have our nominees and winners for actor, actress, director, and of course, best picture of the fucking year. So, yep, yep. So uh, listen in, enjoy, and we'll get going right now. <laughs> I think it's probably the best way to do Good it. Time. All right, let's start it off, guys. Best actor. Do you want me to kick it off? Go for it. All right, so after all that pompous circumstance, my number five best actor, oh God, I can't wait for your reaction, is going to be, I love this performance because I've always loved this performance. He's done it about six times. It's Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Fallout. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So. It's a thin category for you, Jeremy. Yeah, I really enjoyed this movie, obviously, and I love him in these movies, so I wanted to give him something, and I thought, what better than a Fixie nomination at number five? <laughs> I no? like Tom Cruise, too, but this movie was terrible. That is wrong. That, that, that is that, wrong. That is, but... that is totally wrong. It, look, he, there's something there's something that just works about him. It was a lot of fun. I had him. a blast at this movie, but... But it wasn't terrible. How would you have a blast and it was terrible? Because these movies are fun, but that doesn't make it a good movie. We're not talking about the movie. We're talking about the performance. We're talking about his performance, first off. Okay. And I think he's still able to give you something, even in these, you know, quote-unquote fun action movies. He's able to give you, uh, I don't want to say a human quality because it's Tom Cruise, but it is a human quality, a connection to that character, uh, some sympathy where you can go along for the ride, but also be grounded with him. And he's really good at this. Um, and he doesn't, I don't think he gets enough credit for it. So yeah. Okay. I, I, uh, I think that's a, I mean, I don't agree with the pick, but I, I I do agree that he deserves some acknowledgement. And we talked about, like, I, I brought this up on the, um, when we reviewed it, like, like he's, kind of become Jackie Chan, right? Where his like his physicality is the performance, you know? And and you know, just because he's doing stunts doesn't mean it's not part of the performance. And I think it is. And and I had before I saw um Burning last night, I had um Henry Cavill 
as number five on my supporting actor list only because I just think like the two of them together were really kind of dynamic together. And I, 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 I liked what they did. So I don't totally, you know, disagree with this pick, but it's, it's, you know, it is. Well, here's the thing. He's, he's so earnest when he does these roles and that deserves credit. Yeah, and look, if there's a takeaway from Mission Impossible, a positive for me, it is Tom Cruise. And I think something you said is interesting about how there's a human quality to his performance and to the character of Ethan Hunt. And what I think is sort of amazing is that they write these movies and they and I think they try uh, and don't totally succeed to create this human element with the Michelle Monaghan character and, you know, his long-lost wife and, like, how he can't be with her, and they try to create it with that. And it doesn't totally work. It feels kind of cheap. But yet that human element is still there in Ethan Hunt, and it's a credit to the performance. So, um, like Javen said, I don't agree with the pick, but he is a, a positive and a takeaway from that movie. All right, let's get back to the hoity-toity picks. Yeah, okay. Chapin, you're up. <laughs> so Lawrence Olivier from... <laughs> Um, number five is Joaquin Phoenix from You Were Never Really Here. Look, I good, wanted to put pick. this at number five, but I just... But you put Tom Cruise enough, instead. Yeah, no, there just wasn't enough memorable about it that I thought... Like, here's the thing. There's a sliding scale. Come on, he's Joaquin the movie. Phoenix has, but he's been so good in so many things yes. that you know what he's capable of. And I don't think it was there on this movie. And I know he can do better. Whereas Tom Cruise also has been very good in, in, in a different way. Um, where Look, I, I, he doesn't get the credit for these sort of roles. I, I agree with you. But what I would say about this is that is that he... I, I got to watch this again. It's on Amazon. And everybody should check it out. I thought I liked it better the second time. Um, but I just, I just think that he is... This, I think he might be our greatest working actor. Nowadays, I could agree with that. And, a lot of people have said that, yeah. And it's I hard and, to disagree too. And and this performance is very interesting. Um, it's he he just embodies the whole movie, and I am fascinated in watching him. And um, so I think anytime he's going to be in a movie, he's going to be on this list. Although he was in that other movie with Jonah Hill, it didn't seem to make a blip. But um, you know, he had a busy year. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. My number five is Stefan James from If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, insert controversy here. I mean, he was fine. I like. I think he served the story. I, you know, there wasn't those moments where I'm like, oh, wow, that, that guy's, you know, giving a great performance. There was moments where I'm just like, he's getting, he's kind of just serving the story and getting through it. Okay. And, I, yeah. I, I, do, I, do, I, I wish he had a better screenplay, frankly, to go from, but you, you also <laughs> awarded that, so... I like that too. Well, look, here's uh, Jeremy. You pointed out one one point I wanted to mention with him, and and then I'll get to the other. But serving the story, I think, is such an important piece when it comes to performance, and that may come up again when we argue about um, some other uh, actors that may or may not show up on this list. But um, I think that's an important piece, and knowing your role and knowing what you have to do to serve the story is a credit to the actor. And additionally, Jeremy, you brought up a an interesting point about what um, this movie does and with the cinematography and the, the capturing the faces of these characters. And you need a good actor in front of the camera to make sure that that is pulled off because there are a lot of close-ups here and there are a lot of emotions and unspoken things. And I liked a lot kind of the low-key choices that Stefan James made here uh, when he's put in very, you know, high-intensity situations 
And I I always like that. I like the the quiet character. I like the quiet performance. And I think he did a great job here. Um, I think he and Kiki Lane were both really good with each other. They had fantastic chemistry. And that was what I latched on most with this movie was their relationship. And I think without good acting, that's lost. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to totally disagree with you. I just I, it's it's hard to it's hard. I thought there were so many flaws with this movie. I, it was hard to break through to those performances. But um, hmm. OK, OK, number four, Jeremy. All right. My number four is Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Wow. Um, I've notoriously in the past not loved Bradley Cooper as an actor, but I think he's gotten significantly better over the last few years uh, working with better directors, David O. Russell. Himself. Um, and, <laughs> well, here, here he's directing himself, and I think the direction in this movie was – was lacking along with the screenplay. Um, but there was a genuine quality to his performance and that I, I was, I, I, I totally fell for. And I, I think he had enough desperation in not only the character, but in wanting to get this right, being the director that it came across on screen. And That's interesting, yeah. I, I, the, you know, just the worn out chiseledness of him in this really worked for serving this movie and it elevating could have been cliche. the movie. Yeah, well, it could have, but there was something in the eyes that told yeah. you <clears throat> that it was real and it elevated this film for me. I don't think it was a great movie, but it would have been definitely a peg or two down below where it ended up. Um, had it not been for his performance in particular. Okay. Um, my turn, number four. Yep. Uh, my number four is Christian Bale and Vice. Um, I just moved things around really just quickly, uh, and Christian Bale was a victim of that. He was a little bit higher. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, you have to give him credit for that performance. There's just so much good stuff there. But um, – Lee, I know you were critical of, of of his performance, and and I and I recognize what you what you said on that podcast. Like, um, he feels a little bit out of place given the tone of the film, and um, but I think uh, you know, in the sort of mixed bag that was Vice, um, I think Christian Bale's performance is probably one thing that we will you know for years to come go back and look at, and will be interesting to see um, on second and third. Uh, and fourth viewings. Yeah, that's one of those for better or worse. Yeah. It worked. Yeah, and look, you this can, is yeah. go, this was a performance I thought kind of long and hard about and I uh, and I will reveal that it did not make my list. Um and I was sort of kind of toying with it because I was like, all right, look, we we talked about separating things and separate from this movie, <clears throat> this is a great performance. But look, like the fact that he was the only one that went as all out as he did in this movie made it distracting. And as a result, it did not serve the movie. It did not serve the story. And that's something that I pointed out with Stefan James that I give a lot of credit to. And I think as a result, it fell off my list because standalone, it's great. And what Christian Bale does is great and we love him for it. But it has to be 
a part of the bigger picture. And I feel like for me, Vice and his performance as Dick Cheney just wasn't. And that's why it, it didn't work. That's a good point. I disagree. I think it was the opposite. I think it made the movie. But see, like I, I, I would agree there if everybody else followed suit, including the director. And regardless of whose fault it may have been, doesn't matter. You know that that I don't. I guess like you, you have to separate them to a certain extent. But when all is said and done, you know everything has to work in conjunction with each other in order for you to have the best possible result. And if there's a piece that's preventing that from happening, that's a detractor. All right. Well, we'll anyway. get we'll get to that. Sure, I'm sure we'll some discuss more. them some more. Um, am I up? Number three? No, Jeremy's up. Uh, yes, I started. Right? So number no, no, no. Three. I'm yep. up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm up. Number four. Wait, I wait. Said my number you're four. A, yeah, you're yeah. on number four. My number four is Lakeith Stanfield from Sorry to Bother <clears throat> You. Um, again, like I said, I didn't feel like this this really brilliant script was as well executed as I wish it would have been, but um, another standout for me was the performance of Lakeith Stanfield. I thought he was really funny, but I also thought that he was like, sort of like uh, very genuine, and like he, he, you could see his inner conflict and like his confusion about like what he should really do, and like he's been striving his whole life to have success, and now he has it, but he, you know, is abandoning sort of the things that he is, is you know, believes in, and I thought that Stanfield pulled that off really well, and I, I just thought sort of like this goofy-looking, humorous kind of actor balanced the humor of his character with the, you know, the seriousness of uh, that was necessary for the role, and I thought that was great. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I mean, realistically, I probably should have put that number five over Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, you know, I just... About time to give Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise got, some got some exactly the credit he deserves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he he was really good in it, and and that was such a tough that's a tough role to balance, especially yeah. with how weird things get. Well, and not only that, but I also thought that there were a lot. I liked Army Hammer in it, but a lot of the other supporting roles I thought were pretty bad. Like yeah. they they hit those like lines and points on the nose too hard, where he had the right amount of subtlety. Yeah, I agree. I, I it was a great performance. All right, uh, my number three, and I'm kind of surprised this movie didn't come up in either of your screenplays. It didn't come up in mine either. Um, but um, <laughs> so you're not too surprised. <laughs> not too surprised, but it's uh, Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. Um, he was the best part about that movie. He he took that he took that the ideas and the themes behind that film and it totally internalized them. Although I don't think. The movie portrayed these themes and ideas as well as Hawk did. Um, he was very sincere and genuine, and was just the struggle, the internal strife that he showed um, in this film. I was very impressed with, and I think it was weirdly a departure for Hawk. It was something you know we don't normally see from him. Uh, these these loner roles that you know obviously paul schaefer is so known for hawk is not known for so i think he did a great job showing that to the audience and taking what schaefer wrote and putting it into that character it's an excellent pick it's it, um 
the interesting thing about Ethan Hawke is he's an actor that I have I've never liked in the past. Um, but I loved him in Boyhood, and I liked him a lot. Uh, I loved him in this, and and you know I've I've come around on him, and I don't know what changed, whether it was just me or whether something about him changed. But what was interesting is I was I was listening to um, I don't remember actually what it was, but they were talking about Ethan Hawke, and Michael Phillips was um, it must have been film spotting if Michael Phillips was on it. It was talking about his opinion of Ethan Hawke and sort of said the same thing about you know whether uh, he doesn't know if he's changed or if Ethan Hawke has changed, but all of a sudden he's He's put, turning in these fantastic performances, and I think First Reformed is no exception. It's it's he he brings something that isn't on the page, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the screenplay and in, in, in our podcast, Jeremy, you referenced the screenplay being a bit of uh, uh, Paul Schrader's stream of consciousness, um, and just like everything that he's ever felt or thought about the world that we live in, and just regurgitated it onto the page. And I think that was the problem with it, even though it was actually done in a relatively good way. Um, but Hawk brings something that isn't on the page. He that internal struggle, I don't feel like was on the page. I mean, it might have been in the subtext, but like he brought that. That was all Ethan Hawk. Yeah. Okay. Um, my number. Jimmy, you just wake up from your nap. Yeah, sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, God, my... that was a boring pick. <laughs> my number three is uh, you're gonna not like this, Lee, but it's uh, Ryan Gosling from First Man. Um, and, and here's what I'll say. Um, this movie made some bold choices in that it was a movie about Neil Armstrong, who's not the most interest or not the most charismatic man. Um, but it's an enigmatic uh, character. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed Gosling's performance in this. And I think be- I think because of that, you know, he had to find subtlety and um, nuance in in this performance. And I think, you know, this movie is a, a, a little bit a victim of its time and its timing. Um, and uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought he was great. Um, I'd have to go back and listen to our podcast or revisit the movie to, re- to kind of recall my exact feelings on the performance. I know I wasn't real high on it. Um, it's the type of performance that generally I like Gosling in, the quieter, more contemplative type of performance um and i think he did do that to a certain extent here i i I think he was a victim of this movie for me i didn't like the movie um and uh but like i said the the more uh, to get more details on that i encourage everybody to listen to the first man podcast um and i do think it would this movie would reward a second viewing for me um it wasn't what i expected which when that happens oftentimes you know you're thrown and i think that may have been a bit of the case here but sure um, all right, my number three has been mentioned. It is Joaquin Phoenix in You Were Never Really Here. Uh, I liked this movie a lot more than you guys did, as anyone who's listened to that podcast knows. Um, and he was amazing in this movie. I thought the highlight of this movie was the character study of his character, of Joe. Um, and he pulled it off great. He he elevated it, for sure. Um, I gave Lynn Ramsey more credit than you guys did on the execution of the movie as a whole, but um, it it totally hinges on his performance and um look this is another quiet contemplative character and i think it's really interesting to explore that and to try to get inside those characters minds and when actors can allow you to do that i think it's sort of an amazing craft like you know how you can let an audience into your head without saying anything which is what happens here 
it seems you know on the surface impossible but actors good actors are able to do it and he does it great here great pick all right um number twos right yeah, yeah. Two? yes yeah okay jeez moving fast this time around yeah. <laughs> uh it is john david washington in black Klansman. wow yeah i mean this is a not only a good performance it's a fun performance yeah. and he has to do a lot here uh he he has to <clears throat> navigate the the world without letting it beat him down and he also has to do his job at the same time and I think he, I don't know, I think he's just perfectly cast in this to toe that line um, and make this movie, which is tonally tough to pin down. It's, it, it's walking, you know, a high wire on its tone because if it goes one way or the other, I think it's going it, to, it, it doesn't work. It either becomes too pompous or it becomes too goofy. And a lot of that has to do with how uh, his performance and how he can ha he handles the material so he he deserves a lot of credit here for not faltering or falling off that high wire yeah you made a really convincing point i think about him it, it's not a showy or flashy performance which i think a lot of uh, at least my picks this year are um and i think it's one you need to go back and and, and look at but um just as a sort of a side note, I, I'm I'm sort of baffled that, uh, um, what's his name? The uh, what's the white guy? Who's, Adam Driver. Adam Driver yeah, is the Adam one Driver. getting all the attention oh for God. this film. Yeah, like, I, I don't yeah, even really weird. remember his performance at all. But no. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I thought he was he was great, but I think it's because <laughs> it's, it's the Oscars and the, for in Black Klansman they had to nominate the white guy. Uh, <laughs> racist. The Oscars, Oscars not me. Not us yeah, here. No, I'm no, your film fix. No. Yeah. Okay. John David Washington, best performance of the year. Second, third, third, Adam. second best performance. Of the year. Second, Adam. Okay. <laughs> the white guy's coming. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Literally, like the most stereo, like uh, epitome of the white guy is coming. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's up? Chapin is up. Uh, my number two is Ethan Hawke, first reformed. Uh, Great. Yeah. So we, you guys have said it well, but uh, and I had nothing really to add to it. I thought he was fantastic and the best part of that movie. And um, uh, I like Ethan Hawke a lot, and I think um, I'm glad to see him uh, getting some recognition for this film. Yes, but Ethan not Hawk. the Oscars. Not My the number Oscars. two for First Reformed. Great. <laughs> Move it along. Number ones. We're flying now. Flying. Number one. All right, well, you guys know what my number one is. It is Christian Bale in Vice. I mean, we had the wow. we had the argument on um, on the Vice podcast. Look, it works, and I get all the arguments against it. I get what you're saying, Lee, but to me, it is the movie, and he like even though you may not think, and I kind of agree that tonally it's different than everybody else in, in the film, or he's doing something different than everybody else in the film, but he's so good that if there's a scale and one side's Christian Bale's performance and the other side is everything else, Christian Bale's performance tilts 
it yeah. tilts his way. No, I get it. And, like, it's not his fault that the rest of the movie can't live up to him. Right. So I can't punish him for that. And I'm, and I guess I'm also a little bit of a sucker every time he does do something like this. Well, you won't see um, it again. I, well, I know people are getting, you know, we had the discussion. I know people are getting sick of, you know, gaining weight and using that as a crutch or whatever. But he, he, like I said in the Vice podcast, it's a it's a point of entry for him, and he uses it as a tool, and he's really good at that. And watching him do it is is an achievement. So you know he's got to get the credit, and he deserves it. You know it's like the Patriots winning the Super Bowl all the time. I get, people are sick of it, but hey, they're the best team. Eventually, it's going to end. Christian Bale, one of the best actors we have out there, and you know eventually it's going to move on to somebody else but while he's still doing it and while he's still at the top of his game you got to appreciate it i think that your your comparison to the patriots is so good that i'm moving christian bale to my number one <laughs> I, there you go i think um i think the interesting thing to be said about this performance is that you could imagine an entirely different movie being built around that exact same performance um, yeah, right which you know is good and bad but i think speaks to his skill for okay, sure. is it my turn? Yes, yep. it is, sir. Uh, my number one, and I, I to me, it's far and away the best performance of the year. I don't really know. It, I feel like it should be everybody's number one, but I guess it's not yours, Jeremy, and that's Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Wow. Oh, you really – You. I mean, I, I want to hear more. I, 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 I enjoyed the performance. I didn't I – mean, it didn't blow me away like Listen, you, that, you, you talk about entry points – Yes, the physicality of a character, the look of a character is one, but you know, we very rarely talk about voice. He changed his voice. He he lowered his voice. So did Christian and Bale and Batman. It's true. Yeah. Oh, come on. That's a joke, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he I mean he his voice is like a different octave. You know, Bradley Cooper normally is kind of has this kind of dorky, almost effeminate affect, but like he's got this like totally different register for his speaking voice. Not 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 to say yeah. anything about his singing. Um, but I mean and then everything he did with that as well, like learning to sing and perform and I mean it was just a completely convincing performance on both sides both as a musician and you know the skill that comes with that but also on the other side of of being an addict and being someone who um is strung out and um in a in a state of crisis i I was just blown away by this performance um and i think it's the best thing he's ever done it's definitely the best thing he's ever done and it's definitely the best part of that movie and um i i totally see where I, i have no arguments with that I, I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. Bradley Cooper, Star is Born, my number one. Um, I don't know that it's far away, far in a way the number one, uh, as Chapin said, um, but it is definitely the best performance I saw this year. Um, we talked a lot about it on, on the Star is Born podcast, and like we've said, we encourage everybody to go back and listen to these episodes and get more details on our thoughts on these movies, but... It's it, there's so much in his eyes and, and in the subtext of his performance that just, you know, resonated with me. And I just think he does such an amazing job at, uh, you know, getting this character's inner thoughts across to you. And the, the example I give, and I don't even know if it was intentional, is his his feelings 
towards Allie, towards Lady Gaga's character. I never know through the whole movie if he genuinely loves her. And I think that's important. I think that's intentional. And the reason I think that is intentional is because they even have a line of dialogue, sort of a throwaway line later in the movie where she says, you know, I understand if you don't want to be with me, you've never been with me sober before. And he sort of like scoffs at that and says that's ridiculous. But I had the same thought the whole movie, especially in those early scenes when they were getting together. And it just seemed like this was just the kind of, you know, a little fun he was having because he was drunk and he ended up at this bar. And and I think to pull that off in the performances is, is amazing. Um, and what's really interesting, and Jeremy, you've mentioned this about yourself, and I felt the same way, is that Bradley Cooper was never really high on my list of favorite actors for a long, long time. Um, but he is now um, back-to-back Fixie winners for me. Uh, on the last two Fixie shows we've done, 2012, going back to then, for Silver Linings Playbook, he was my number one, and again here. I wonder if Silver Linings Playbook would, it would stand does up. does not. Okay. <laughs> I've watched it again. But his performance does, but that movie does not. Um, so here we go. Well, that he's going to win. The then. Fixie goes to Bradley Cooper. But again, narrow margin for Silver I mean, for uh, Star is Born. Beat Ethan Hawke by one point, um, 12 to 11. Wow. Yeah, uh, <coughs> no, that's interesting. I mean, I definitely felt all those things you guys felt when watching A Star is Born about Bradley Cooper. I think maybe the overall experience of the movie, even though I enjoyed it, I didn't love it, knocked him down a little bit on my list. Um, Have you listened to the podcast on that yet? Uh, no. I... I, I after you listen to it, I think we should discuss it a little bit because I actually have a feeling we all feel relatively the same about it. But I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. certainly curious. Jeremy doesn't listen to episodes he's not on. Lee, come on. All right, moving on, guys. All right, best actress, Chapin. You want to kick us off? Yeah. With your number five, I would love to. Can I, and I'm glad I get to kick this off because I wanted to mention a couple that I didn't put on here, but. Um, this was the toughest category to narrow yeah. down for me. At the last minute, um, two movies that I saw uh, more recently uh, removed both Nicole Kidman and um, Charlize Theron from this list. Um, and once you see my top four, I think that my, 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 the, the, the two actresses that kicked them off, I think you'll, you'll be more interested in that. But um, I, I, I like that the, her performance in Destroyer, Nicole Kidman, and of course Tully from Charlize Theron. Um, right, so you're just going to spoil all our Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but my number five is uh, Miss Elsie Fisher from Eighth Grade. Uh, I'm sure this is going to come up again for you guys, but I um, I like this movie uh, a, a lot. I, it, was, it was hard to watch for me, as I'm sure it was for you guys as well. Um, but, man, she was just like – she was – you know, uh, we've mentioned this a couple times as, as – as, uh, you know the the actor being the center point of the movie, but she really was it. There was never one scene she wasn't in, and um, she was extraordinary um, as an eighth grader. Yeah, that was one of the more enjoyable, if not the most enjoyable, performance of the year to watch. Yeah, totally a character to root for. All right, yeah. my number five is Yelitsa Aparicio from Roma. Um, like I said, I think that. Uh, Roma uh, would reward a second viewing and it did and especially when it came to the performance of Aparicio um, I thought she was fantastic Um, just the kind of shy quiet presence that she has throughout the movie um, was interesting because like it almost 
it almost felt like she was uncomfortable being on camera, being the amateur actress that she was, but it then worked for the character in such a great way. Um, and whether that's I just, just... Don't, I just want to give her the credit for that. That's my only thing with it. I, I just feel like yeah, okay. it worked uh, for and, the story and no, 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 it worked okay. for and, her And look, face. I, I won't argue that at all because I, I was going to say this could be one of those instances the, that Chapin credits Fincher for all the time with just casting absolutely the right person in the right role. Or, you know what I mean? And and maybe that was the case. But I don't know. I just you know, I, I found her smile to be really dynamic the second time around. And I just thought, you know, this was this was such a such a good performance capturing this this character. And, and I, I, I liked the performance or I paid more attention to the performance the second time around. But I also thought a lot about my initial reaction to this movie, which was highlighted by my investment in that character. And I have to give the actor some credit for that because that was the, that was the best part of this movie is how much you were invested in Cleo. Yeah, I guess I, I can, I separated it. It's like, sure. Uh, what we were talking about earlier with the screenplay, um, with this particular movie, I, I just thought, I thought she was perfect in the role but i don't think she gave a particularly great performance and i give the credit to Quran for that not necessarily for her okay fair enough yeah you're up. all right um my number five is uh melissa mccarthy for can you ever forgive me um this is easily the best i've ever seen her she almost completely strips away all your preconceived notions of Melissa McCarthy. You almost see, completely see a different character there, which you have to give her a lot of credit for because that's hard to do with somebody that has her personality and playing a role that does have some comedic moments. Um, and I thought she embodied the struggle of this woman who was just sort of down and out, desperate, kind of an asshole but really wanted to make something of herself and also she did a great job of sort of living in the excitement of once she found out how she could do these forgeries um you know portraying portraying that sort of uh enjoyment in in doing that activity and i you know i think part of this pick is because you have somebody who's so established as x and then you totally see him as y and i think for that um she gets extra credit deserved or not yeah it's hard to argue with you um i i really liked this performance too um you know i think i think this role took a comedic actor to really pull off um, as opposed to the other way around, if that makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. a, a dramatic actor, someone we're used to seeing in dramatic roles, adding the touch of humor. I think it took the, the comedic actor putting themselves into a dramatic role. And I, I think that worked well for it. And I think that was what allowed some of those more humorous comedic moments to work well, I think, because she knows how to pull those things off. And, um, you know, I, I think I agree that this is the best we've seen her, but I actually really like her in the just straight up comedic roles too. So yeah, you know, it's tough to separate, but it's a good pick. <clears throat> I haven't seen that, so I'm excited to to check it out. Um, 
My number four is Thomason McKenzie from Leave No Trace, which I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, uh, again, like uh, with Elsie Fisher, they kicked these two very experienced actresses off my list, um, and they were genuinely better performances. But to see these two young actresses do so well was really um, moving for me. Um, she uh, plays this very soft-spoken character, um, and you know she kind of becomes um, she. I would say she's the definitely the lead in this film, but. Um, she becomes the protagonist really in the middle of the film where she starts kind of being uh, without spoiling anything. She kind of, she kind of is moving the story along as the def- definition of protagonist would suggest. And so um, I, I, I'm just amazed in, in both these films when they, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big ask for a film to rely solely on one actor to, you know, move um, every aspect of the movie along, you know, for us to invest emotionally in these, in these, characters and especially for someone who's young and relatively inexperienced um and then to boot she is a new zealander doing a perfect american accent um so uh, i didn't know that thought she was fantastic i um i really struggled actually with both performances in this movie about how i felt about them actually um her and ben foster uh, um ben foster of course didn't make my list for best actor i i liked them both uh but Mackenzie in particular, I, I couldn't decide, and this is really my own fault, I couldn't decide if like she was if it was a dull performance or if it was a subtle performance. You know, I, I kind of struggled with that. Um, and I'm still not totally sure where I've where I've ended up on it. But um well, I'm glad it made your list because I do think it was it's a performance worth discussing. Um, the scene, you know what I, I that, that that's a very good point, Lee. But the, the scene I would like to point that to, much like Jung Seo Jun in Burning's performance, the scene where she cries, um, Thomas and Mackenzie, I think are, I, I think might might give you a second thought on that. I think she. You know, crying is a big act for a for a actor. It's something that you know they people, you know, it's like it's a very sort of obvious thing to do. But um, I think she does it in a very interesting way. And so I would, if you ever get a chance to check it out, maybe pay some more attention there. Sure. Okay. Yeah, they um, pay more attention. <laughs> all right. Uh, my number two. No, my number four. That gets two points. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at the scores next to the the numbers next to it, and I got confused. I couldn't handle the <laughs> the amount of numbers on this page. <laughs> um, my number four is Kiki Lane in Beale Street. Um, I talked about it on the Beale Street podcast. I thought she was amazing in this movie. I loved that she was in the background, um, and I love that you know she takes that step back and has the discipline as an actress to you know not feel like as the lead in this movie be the center of attention. Um, and I think that is a credit to her performance and the scenes that she does step up makes her stronger and, and shows the strength in her character. And I, I loved that and I thought she was fantastic. The camera loved her. And this may go back to our cinematography pick, but like whenever she was on screen, she was captivating, even when she wasn't saying anything. Yeah. All right. Um, my number four is a movie we recently talked about, and it's uh, and it's her second nomination. It's Nicole Kidman in The Destroyer, which apparently got kicked off of Chapin's list. 
But I understand why you put her there. I think we all I think we all liked her, right, Lee? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, she was she was the best part of that movie. I mean, I thought the, the I thought the makeup hurt her. Yeah, a lot of credit. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say a lot of credit goes to the makeup, but or or not, or it could have been distracting. Depends on how you want to look at it. But you know, similar to uh, Bradley Cooper's performance, there was a wear under her perform yeah. under her performance that just was palpable. And she, you know, for somebody who doesn't like. She'd probably be the last person you'd you'd think to cast in that sort of noir, dirty detective role. Ugly Nicole Kidman. Yeah. yeah, ugly detective would be Nicole Kidman. But she, you know, she does it. She pulls it off. Um, she's worth seeing that movie for. Um, it's interesting that you you point out. You know, you see the the wear um, on her, and and you credit the performance for that, which is true. But the, what, why the reason I kind of, you know, uh, say that the makeup detracted from her performance is because they tried to show the wear using that tool, and I feel like it got in the way of the performance that did the job, you know. And I don't know. I I was never distracted by the makeup. I think they did a good job, and I think she just, you know, I think it was it was layering. It's like a painting that has sure. layers. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Chapin, you are up with your number three. My number three is Jalizia Aparicio from Roma. Uh, you guys said it, uh, or Lee, you said it. Lee yeah, did. Lee did. Um, I, I was really, I was really glad to see uh, it nominated, her, see her nominated. That is um, for an Academy Award because I, I thought she was great, but I, I wasn't quite sure. And I think this speaks to what you were saying, Jeremy. I wasn't quite sure, you know, how much credit we could give her for this movie, and so I'm, it, it emboldened me to put her on the list. And I really liked her performance. Um, you know, I, I don't know that she's going to be a world class actress for the rest of her life. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, or if she'll ever or, be, in or anything she, or again. she may be in anything ever again, but. Um, you know the way Quaron ca- captured her. What you know, he. It, this could be just the case of of like the Fincher thing of like, you know, catching someone at the right moment in the right part doing the right thing. Um, and I thought she was magnificent in that sense. So that's my number three. Great, my number three, um, Chapin. Uh, I was disappointed to hear that she got the bump despite. Um, the picks that you replaced her with, but it is Charlie Theron in Tully. Um, this is an amazing performance. Um, you know, she, what's, what's most amazing about it is that was one of our first podcasts and here we are still talking. Oh, yeah. about And we, her. we tabbed her then we were all hoping that she would, you know, uh, show up around, uh, award season. And of course she has not because most of the award shows are, are, are nonsense, but here at the fixies, um, you know, we credit, you know, greatness and she is great in this movie um look like i i she, she's an amazing actress i sort of liken her to she, the, i guess the being the female version of joaquin phoenix and um you know just every single time she makes a movie she turns in an amazing performance and you know perhaps is is one of the best working actresses that we have right now and i don't think she gets that credit but she deserves it yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, you know, I like her. She was, she won my fixie. Um, I think the second annual, right, two thousand eleven for um, for young adults. Young adult. Um, yeah. 
And I thought she was great. I thought she was going to be in it. You know, yes, she did get get knocked off. Um, I think it's a little bit of the opposite for me, actually, what you just said, Lee. I, I, I don't know that she's someone I always love. I know she got a lot of praise for um, Mad Max. And, I you know, I, I wasn't in love with her performance in that. I mean, I thought she was fine. But um, I, I do think she's got these moments when she really can when shine. She's talking about the guzzoline. The guzzoline, yeah. Um, but you know, when she's with the right, you know, director, you know, when she really needs to perform, I think she can, you know, when she's sort of the center of the movie, she really is, is great. Um, so there you have it. All right. (laughs) Jeremy, your number three, uh, my number three has been mentioned, but, uh, it's Elsie Fisher in eighth grade. Talk about finding the right person for the right time in the right movie. I mean, she embodied the awkwardness of an eighth grade eighth grade person, not necessarily just an eighth grade girl she happens to be, but like it's she embodied that time in that a lot of people can relate to um, in their lives. And she was simultaneously funny, but moving, um, even though, she, the emotion you could read on her face, although she tried to, as many teenagers do, uh, you know, keep sort of a, a blank stare, but you understood where she was coming from in the, um, what she was dealing with. Uh, you know, it was, it was a window also, she was, she was a window into, you know, what it must be like now for kids with social media and sort of the damning effects of always having these screens and these people sort of at your beck and call judging you at all times and it's like Bo Burnham just found her and was able to take a camera and follow her around and get these moments that just put together this really poignant and personal but funny movie and I think what really puts her up at least this high on my list is are those moments of humor when she tries to interact with boys and she you know she's trying to discover sex and that sort of thing and and just her her non not nonchalance but just her her ability to sort of try to act cool about it is is really funny and she's really good at it um and uh she she deserves a lot of credit, and I hope. And unlike you guys' pick for Roma, you, you're gonna see her down the road. She is she is acting here. Yeah, that's a great point. I I wonder about that though. Like I don't I don't know. Like I sort of liken her to, um, what the hell is the, I don't remember the kid's name in Boyhood, but like, oh. you know, I, I don't you know who cares if I ever see him again. He was that character. Like Elsie Fisher, yeah, but was he this he character. wasn't good. That's the difference. But he was good as a, in that movie, though, as that character. I didn't think so. Um, yeah, he was fine. But like, I don't know. I I, don't, I mean, I would love to see what else she can Ta- do. Time will tell. But yeah. I'm telling you right now, I think I, I think hope you're so. See I, more I, from her. I hope so, and I hope she. You know, I, I I would love to see different things from her. I think that'd be really interesting. But I wonder. Um. All right, Chapin. Okay. My number two is Lady Gaga for A Star is Born. Um, uh, I think, you know, it, it speaks to uh, 
it speaks to her her talent that she held her own with you know Bradley Cooper doing you know a career you know defining performance and she was very much a part of that and uh I I think what I really loved about her her thing here is you know I went in you know she's got this reputation of course she's this pop star and she's got this big personality and and even in like the press tour for this movie which I've seen a lot of just because they've been doing it since like August um you know like she has this sort of you know almost like celebrity type personality and in Stars War she's just so kind of real and genuine and I think Lee you and I talked about this on the podcast where even when she becomes the celebrity that she is she still got this this sort of realness and tenderness to her um and I think you know for really the first like starring performance that she has it's extraordinary and um I I loved her and I you know I think much like um Rachel Weiss you kind of fall in love with her in the same way that Bradley Cooper's character does yeah, I uh, I loved her character in this movie. Um, as I mentioned, this is a very crowded category for me. <laughs> I I don't know how, but she didn't make my list. Um, I thought she was really good, but particularly the first half of the movie, I thought she was excellent. And I, I think uh, a bit was lost for me in the second half of that movie, um, perhaps separate from her performance, but it ended up hurting things altogether in a crowded category. Um, but everything you said is right. Like you, you, you kind of fall for her, like her, her, um, kind of her, you know, her quiet nature, her shy nature, like her vulnerability that I don't know is actually any, a characteristic of Lady Gaga herself, which is a credit to her acting. You know, we, we know a lot about her since she's a very famous person. Um, so to kind of put forth that performance is, is sort of amazing. See, I I thought she was fine. I thought she was good, uh, but I didn't think she elevated this performance into something you could sit, sit there and say she gave a great performance. I think she did enough to get you to have these reactions and sort of fall in love with her character and enjoy her character. And then she, on top of it, obviously is a pop star and could pull off the uh, musical aspect of it very well. But I, there was nothing in the moment to moment, the one on ones between them that I got that I thought, okay, she's doing something extra here, or she's doing something extraordinary. She's serviceable for these moments. Okay, I mean that's fair. I um, I I I feel like, <clears throat> I mean we talked about it on the podcast. I feel like everyone was higher on her than she deserved and in, in, in lower on Bradley Cooper than he deserved, of course. But um, that it w- wasn't to say or isn't to say that I thought she was bad. Um, my number two is Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Um, <clears throat> again, whether or not, you know, these were all leading roles between her, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz um, is up for debate, but I stuck with uh, the categories that they um, – ended up in in all the other awards shows um what i found really interesting and the more i thought about this performance and what i really liked about it is while there were some very showy moments and some louder moments that she had that she was great in i sort of liked the subtle moments and kind of looking at you know what was going on in her head and seeing it 
um, through her performance. And the scene that comes to mind is uh, the scene when they're at the dance and right before she sort of like blows up and tells everybody to stop and wants to be taken away. Just the kind of shot on her and watching her and kind of seeing what's going on in her head, I felt like was really interesting. And I think when you see that in a performance and you've probably started to notice a trend for me, I like the in between the lines aspect of performances and she pulls that off as well uh in addition to the showy aspects which are great too yeah she's my number two as well and um i thought she was phenomenal in this i i I almost picture um latimos saying hey uh you're basically a six-year-old in this but you're you're in (laughs) charge you're in charge of the country so, and that's kind of how she played it. Yeah. I mean, she played it for the, you know, it might as well be who, you know, Emma Stone and uh, Rachel Weisz might have, might as well have been mommy and daddy and who's going to, they're going to compete for her affection. Um, and one second she's, you know, going to start, you know, start screaming at a whole crowd to get, to leave. And the next she, she wants to play with, uh, she wants to play with rabbits. Um a great it, a great uh comparison i think but yeah if, if i mean you don't but, get what you want from mommy she's gonna go ask daddy exactly so in in that must have been a really fun role for her to play i mean she's been in a lot of british shows um over the years she was in peep show she was in the office she for an episode like you've seen her um but this was this was a juicy role for her and she absolutely nailed it uh and you know was also great about her playing this sort of um infant is the the stakes behind it all and i know we talked about this on the podcast how we just stayed in this castle and we never really saw the uh, the ramifications of the decisions made but those stakes are also there and they're very clear to everyone um yeah it was uh it was one of my favorite performances of the year for sure Yep. All right. On to number one. That's my number one. Olivia Coleman, the favorite. Uh, I, yeah, you guys said it the best. The only thing I would add is I, I think it's, I think it is hard, and I think all three of these ladies did a great job with it. But I think she did it the best of, again, oscillating between, you know, co- kind of comedy and and you know the more dramatic bits. And I think, you know, it's not so much the juxtaposition, but you know, smoothing that out and making it feel that transition feel. Um, natural and kind of um, fluid and uh, she's great at that and uh, I I think you guys said it all but that's the one thing I would add is that she's just she's got you know she's so funny in some of those moments and then she's she can be you know screaming in pain from gout uh, in the next scene and you know it it, it totally works it it always feels a part of that character yeah that's a good point okay my number one it's LC Fisher from eighth grade. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Great. I, I, um, the two things I'll bring up that, it, I mean, we've talked plenty about her, but, uh, the one is a bit of a hypothetical that I'll just kind of throw out there is that who else could have played this role? Um, I, you know, they try to pick any accomplished actress or anybody. I just don't think there was anybody else out there. It was perfect. Um, but beyond that, and I mentioned it on the podcast, uh, that we did on eighth grade that I, I don't think she is getting or will get enough credit for is, the likes and the ums that she pulls off. And I like, Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't think people realize how hard that is to sound realistic. That's how people talk. Sure. So you'd think, 
uh, imitating that would sound realistic, but as in a performance in the context of a movie, I think that's very difficult to do, and she does it seamlessly. And I'm just I wonder I if they so were impressed. written or if it was yeah, her. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, regardless, though, it's I, I was so impressed, and I'm so glad that we decided to talk about this uh, in conjunction with um, Boy Erase because I might not have revisited it otherwise, and it would have just been this forgotten movie for me because my second time through. Um, you know, it was uh, it was amazing. I, I I thought she was so good. Yeah. Well, I'm no, I'm excited to see her at number one. Um, my number one is another throwaway for Chapin. It actually is Charlie Theron in Tully. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I really liked it. I, I wasn't throwing it away. Like, well, it's just yeah, it stuck with me. And like, um, you guys mentioned uh, what's her name? Uh, the other actress in that. Mackenzie Davis. Uh, Mackenzie Davis, and I like literally forgot about her. Um, but, but you forgot about Tully. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. But I just remember Charlize Theron and and her face in that, and just the way she went between, or, or just more just the difficulty, and and the wear and the tear of of just being a mother and the depression that she was feeling, and it stuck with me for all these months and for that you got to give her a lot of credit um and that's why she's my number one that's great i'm, I'm glad yeah, yeah i'm not gonna argue with that i'm really glad she's represented here all right and the fixie for best actress goes to olivia coleman mm. for the favorite Oof. she probably win the oscar too uh she had 13 points elsie fisher with nine charlie's theron with eight um no, I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say. She was Chapin's number one, me and Jeremy's number two. Um, it's an amazing performance. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to Best Director. Guys, best just director. to preface this category um, quickly, um, I think the way that this Get Your Film Fix podcast has gone in the newest uh, iteration of it is uh, the focus on the director. We spend a ton of time talking about the director, um, we've done director retrospectives. We will continue to do those. Um, the three of us obviously hold the director in very high regard. So um, I would make the argument that this was is perhaps the most important category of the year. Um, and I had I, I had a lot of options. So to narrow it down to five was um, was difficult. But um, I just wanted to preface this category with that, since that's obviously um, something we we talk a lot about. Uh, whose turn is it to go first? Mine? I think so. Yep. All right. Uh, so my number five um, is Chloe Zhao for The Rider. Before you continue, that's yeah. my number five. Okay. Um, I'll be curious if you have kind of the same reasoning for me, but ultimately it has to do with what she was able to accomplish with all these people playing themselves. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, The Rider is based on um, a, the story of um, – a man named Brady Jan- Jandro. Um, is that how you say his last name? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to pull it up. Yeah, Brady Jan- Jandro, who um, basically suffered a severe head injury. Um, uh, he, What do they call those competitions that he's in? The bull like riding the, the bull riding competitions. He gets thrown thrown from the bull and gets his head stepped on and, and suffers a severe injury. And I guess they're called rodeos. Rodeos. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And he's sort of forced to reevaluate and change the way he lives his life. Um, And 
um, evidently Chloe Zhao met him while she was working on her uh, previous film um, and decided to make the movie about him and made the very interesting choice to not only cast him as himself, but everybody as themselves, including wow. his father, his sister, um, his friends. And um, wow, that sounds look, I thought the performances were good in this movie. I don't know that any of them were great, but the fact that that's she was able to, her to pull credit. off. Yeah, it was to her credit. So the fact that she was able to pull off um, what she did with them was amazing. And the one that really comes to mind and I think is sort of uh, almost baffling is the, the relationship between Brady and his father, which was a, clearly a strenuous relationship. Yeah. And then she put them on screen reliving it. Yeah. Wow. And it came and, across in the, in the relationship between Brady and, and Lane Scott, who was his yes. friend, who had an even more horrific um, injury where he was clearly paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah, um, and could barely and, speak or anything. And could barely speak. So what's so clever about this movie is all these guys who were in these rodeos, they have, you know, you can pull their videos up on YouTube, and she incorporated that into the film. Keep in mind, this is a totally dramatized version of this film. I mean, everybody's acting in it. Nobody's, yeah. you know, it's it's not found footage or anything. Um, so they would be watching them, like, watching themselves previous to the injuries, like their real selves. Um, uh, yeah, it, it sh- a lot of credit goes to the fact that this wasn't a total mess. Yeah. So we have this many... I, I, hate, I hate this new let's just cast the real people thing. I think this is a, this is a, a disaster waiting to happen most of the time. Well, um, you know, the, the Clint Eastwood movie that he did this in 1517 to Paris got terrible reviews. I didn't see it, but I just think this is not, there's a reason we have trained and accomplished actors. Um, but can I ask this. you guys, do you guys think the movie is good sort of despite this or because of it? No, it's good. Uh, I think because of it, I think he, like, I think, uh, I think it. Brady, elev- I think it brings an, a, a, another element to it that helps it. She I found d- a way to like get these people to emote that isn't necessarily even acting. It's more that she got them to ignore the camera and relive these moments, hmm. which was really kind of the secret sauce of this movie, and especially yeah. with with Brady's performance, who she had a lot of close ups of him. Um, and he was good. And in he was it. pretty he, good. Yeah. Yeah. He was. He yeah. was really good in it. And he, you, you just you felt the pain, and you felt like moment to moment what what he was trying to emote. Um, it it sounds just a little bit like a little bit like Boyhood in a way, where you know if you if you didn't have that element of it, you know of it in this case being real actors, it may it may not be quite the same movie. Well, yeah, you're probably right. That. I, 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 yes, and maybe this is exactly what you're saying. Um, it'd be a movie we'd seen before, okay, and probably forgettable mm-hmm. as a result. Because um, the story is interesting, but it's not, you know, it's not transcendent in any way. Um, but I didn't know. I don't know about you, Lee. Like I fell for this movie, and I fell for the story, and I was like, "This is really impressive." And then afterwards, I realized. That they were all playing themselves. Oh, I, oh, I wow. knew that the whole time. I, I didn't looking. know till after. I I knew that there That's was a lot of not. Yeah, I knew there was a lot of non-actors. I could tell from the movie, like there were certain scenes with certain people where I'm like, okay, well that guy's never acted before. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and uh, you know, I was I was ready to give Lane Scott the all the fixies of the year. Well, I was like, what oh a my transformation! God, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. But <laughs> which is terrible to say, but I really had no idea until after, and I'm like, oh wow, these, that's you know, it made it even more impressive. So to answer your question, Tape, and it stood up by itself, not even knowing this. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, okay, so it's my turn. And that's um, our number five director of the year with all that praise. So that's wow. an example of... Well, I feel like a little bit of an idiot now because... And now this is a little <laughs> bit like Jeremy's number five Chris for... Chris McQuarrie. You guessed it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> is it really? That's it. Oh, my God. You're but listen, kidding me. But listen. Listen to me for a second, okay? I, yeah. I actually am putting this out. I, I, there's no preface here. I thought this movie was marvelous, marvelously directed. That being said... I also have to blame Christopher McQuarrie, the writer, because I thought it was horribly written. You know, I mean, listen, to me, Christopher McQuarrie was directing on, like, Nolan-level skill here, but he was working with a terrible script, and they... Just because he's ripping off Nolan's scenes doesn't mean... Yeah, but he did a great job. He did a great job ripping it off. And, like, he's got that sense of scale, but, like, rooted in, you know, some realism and... um, like the tension that he get, gets out of these things, and I think they're great. I mean, like, I, I and 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 the whole time watching it, I think I think I fall in the middle from between you guys and that. I was like, you know, like I just didn't give a shit about the plot. Like the plot was completely meaningless, and I think that you got to oh, chalk yeah. that up to the to the writing. And and I, you know, I kind of I like this movie, but it wasn't an amazing film. But like, I want to see Christopher no, uh, Christopher McQuarrie direct a movie, you know, like uh like with a screenplay like a Christopher Nolan and. I think he he would do an amazing job with, uh, and, and it would it would be on our top five movies if he ever gets around to doing that. Well, what's Look, amazing about that is is I'd be interested to see that too. Just because thinking about his history, like he has one of the best screenplays ever on, to his credit with the Usual Suspects, and apparently you feel highly on his uh, his directing ability with Mission Impossible. And I don't I can't say I disagree with what you've said, you know, um, but. You know, if he gets one of those things, is he all of a sudden elevated to one of the best talent, period, in Hollywood? You know, if he gets a, a, a script that he can direct with the skill that you suggest he has, um, you know, we might be looking at someone in that category of a Nolan. TBD. <laughs> okay, number fours. My number four, it's Bo Burnham for eighth grade. Um, Sabone I mean, look, the, the freaking balls on this guy to to make a movie with such uncinematic material that's entertaining. But then additionally, the, the, his use of music to throw Enya in there and like, like all this is stuff. Especially for a first time director. Right. This is stuff that should not be allowed. Like, and he just pulls it off and it, it works in, in such a great way as a whole. Um, like he deserves a ton of credit and you guys heard my gripe about him in his you know, resume and my expectations of him going into this movie. Um, and it's all just washed away by what he did with this. It's, it's sort of amazing. <coughs> yeah. He, he deserves a lot of credit. He's, he just missed my list. I'm disappointed to hear that. All right. What's your that number four? He probably won't win. Uh, yeah. Instead of Bo Burnham, I had to put number four as Cohen brothers. <laughs> <laughs> For the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, the who? Look, well, well, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what else to say about the Coen brothers that we haven't already said. Uh, you know, every time they're both, like we said, reinventing themselves and 
doing the same thing, if that's even possible. Um, you know, you're going to go see a Coen Brothers movie, whether, you know, uh, unless maybe it's that, that Tom Hanks one that they released a few years ago. But um, just, <laughs> the they're lady interesting. Killers. Yeah, the Lady Killers. That was just 14 interest- years ago. <laughs> was it really? Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> that they movie released they last released year. <laughs> you know, How many movies have ago. they had between that? Is the real question. <laughs> Sorry, that 15 sticks out years in, ago. That sticks out in my mind as just being terrible. No, I think it's absolutely their worst movie. But yeah, there you go. My number four. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to argue the with that. The lady killer. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it my turn? Oh, yes. Uh, okay, my number four is, and it speaks to the quality of the movie that he's on here, but it's Damien Chazelle for First Man. Oh, my God. You really like that movie. I do. Look, um, I I think, look, Lee, like the fact that you went into that movie and, and you weren't prepared for it, as you admitted, um, I think speaks no, to speaks to the what to his choices here, um, and I mean, look, this is going to be this is that movie that comes out every year where it's set in space, and of course, it's uh, it's gonna, <laughs> it's, it's on gonna, your list. I'm predisposed to loving it, but um, I mean, he chose to tell this story that we often see as this you know American um, you know this uh, piece of Americana is often glossed over, it's often um, viewed as this you know amazing achievement for us, and he I think he captures that, but what what he really depicts in this movie is like the grit and the grime and the and the 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 task it took to get there and that it wasn't always like the prettiest picture and um i love that about it i mean as someone who like you know loves the apollo program this was just like it was it was like looking at something from a thirty-five thousand foot you know point of view and then then going down and looking at it looking at the details you know it, it was like ah this is everything this was what i was missing um and yeah. that's why i love it it's a great way to put it so I, I, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of that movie as as mentioned. I, I'm, I'm excited about Damien Chazelle's future. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of La La Land. I didn't dislike it. Um, I was not as high on what's the what's the um, Whiplash. Whiplash, yes. Um, I wasn't as high on that as everybody else was, but I liked it. Um, and then again, you know, I think here like this was an interesting choice for him to do, and I think he's. And a, a director for sure that's gonna, you know, he he's gonna get big budget movies now, and we're gonna continue to see commercial films from him. But that could be a good or a bad thing. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I I do think it speaks to, uh, you know, this movie is so different from La La Land, and like, you know, you could and it I I hope I mean, this movie ostensibly bombed you know it didn't it did not do very well at all and i think we talked about this you know it's a product of the time and the timing but um i I think the fact that he chose to make this movie like that instead of the sort of glossy musical that he did you know two years before um i think that speaks to to a, a promising talent yeah well i mean i totally i mean when you can i is say what you want about musicals but when you can successfully execute one that's a talented director i think um and then to be able especially to go, this day and age yeah and then to be able to go and do a different a totally different genre or style of movie uh is is further credit to that um okay my number three is spike lee for black klansman um as i mentioned in response to your screenplay 
pick Chapin. Um, I think this movie had screenplay issues, but uh, Spike Lee's ability to kind of take what is a, a very serious and topical subject matter and kind of create a commercial film, commercialize it as we discussed on the podcast, but without losing its impact is really great and impressive. And I think, you know, what he chose to do here in that capacity was smart. I'm glad that he did it that way. Um, you know, uh, I sort of, you know, Chapin, you said you sort of missed the Spike Lee hammer, the Spike Lee signatures. I can't really decide if I missed it or not here. Um, and I think that's only because it was like half in, half out. Like his signature shots were kind of there, but not totally there. But the biggest takeaway was his ability to, you know, take a serious subject matter and add humor to it, which I think is one of the hardest things to do in filmmaking. And he did it. Especially for a guy who we've had, you know, issues yeah. with in the past for being t- too serious know, about it, yeah. too serious. And he's also my number three, uh, Spike Lee in Black Klansman. So because I've had those, especially since I've had those issues with him in the past, you you got to give him extra credit almost for being able to do what he did in this movie and, and take this, um, this film and make it so accessible in a way, but still not losing anything. He never lost anything. And it almost goes to show you he doesn't need to be, uh, you know, so, uh, I guess, so serious about all his, um, it, like he's been in the past. So he, he, he deserves a lot of credit for this. Um, yeah, yeah it's, the, it's, it's the hardest thing to do in filmmaking, I think, is to, to make a comedy out of uh, something that isn't funny. Um, the movie I always go back to uh, that did it great was Life is Beautiful from Roberto Benigni. Um, he was nominated for an Oscar for that, for Best Director and, and uh, I believe, Best Picture. Um, and, again, Spike Lee does it here. Like, this is not a funny subject matter, but this movie's funny. And but, when you can do that, it's impressive. Okay, but like, let's say, what if he if he wins the Oscar? Would you guys be happy with with this being Spike Lee's only Oscar? I know that's not exactly that we're not supposed to talk about that really, but like, I just just don't think this this pales in comparison to a lot of his other films. I don't think it does. I really? Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think I like other I, there. I like other ones of his movies more than this, but in terms of what he was able to do with the material. I think this is is some of his best work. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, he's not on my list, but um, you know, I I love Spike Lee, so I never would never argue with that. And oh. I well, and that's interesting because I don't, and I don't, Jeremy, I don't think you do really either. I'm so, hit or miss. I'm so hit or miss. So I think that's a you know an example of you know here's maybe it's a bit of a surprise, so it elevates the him on our list. Okay, um, my number three is. Mr. Yorgos Lanthimos for the favorite. Um, you know he he was great. I think he was great. He wasn't in the film, but um, uh, you know like, well, he might as well have been though. Yeah. I mean, it was all <laughs> you're talking about. You know, someone's um, someone imprinting themselves on a film. Um, you know, I, I had the, I guess it was fortuitous a little bit, not for the podcast certainly, but I watched you know his two other big films after having seen this and i think in that sense you know in, in retrospect he was a little bit more restrained on this film and i think to to the benefit of the film um but like i said on the podcast i just think he found that um 
that just that right tone of being very, very interesting and unique and new and, and kind of exciting, but also being st- st- still able to sort of say something meaningful about the time and the circumstance of the plot of the film. Uh, and it worked so well and was such an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's my number two. Yorgos Lanthimos. That's, that's my number two as well. Oh, so, wow. Man, you know, Jeremy, you and me are yeah. right in sync here so far. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Bo Burnham versus the Coens. Um, what, I, what I find so impressive about him is like everybody's obviously really impressed with the world that uh, they created in the Avengers, but I feel like oh, Lanthimos totally. great, great. has created his own worlds in Multiple, totally... A bunch of different times, yeah. Yeah, in total separate movies. Like there is a stamp, a Lanthimos stamp, and... You, you know, we've obviously had these discussions about auteurs and the significance of them and putting your own signature onto films. And does that serve the story or is it better to be, you know, different every movie and, and, and just take each individual story as its own? But honestly, I think if you look at the list of our favorite movies, I think having that auteur stamp there's something important about it. And you have a new filmmaker here that is is doing just that and working at the pinnacle um that we've seen from him uh and it's exciting and it's exciting to see it happening and we you know you want to get as many more lanthimos movies as you can in the next few years before inevitably something goes wrong maybe um and uh he deserves a lot of credit and that's how i feel about him he was he was my biggest takeaway from this movie. I left this movie being like this this was so well directed. It's so interesting to watch what he does. Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't love this movie, but um, the killing of a sacred deer from last year was my favorite movie of, of last year. Um, having I, having seen it recently and a, a bit late, but regardless, um, you know, I just love what he does. Like I, I and he does a little bit of what I mentioned with you know the sorry to bother you screenplay. Like he. He blends this like not so much in the favorite, but he like sort of blends this reality and fantasy, and I just think that's so interesting. And I just I, I love his work. I I love you know his take on the world and view of the world and how he puts that on screen. Although it's pretty fucked up. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether Which or not it's real more interesting. Yeah. All um, right. So Chapin, right, we're back to Chapin, you. You number two. Okay. Nope. Well, this is going to be pretty interesting for you guys, but it's Alfonso Cuaron for Oh, Roma. wow. Now I'm totally intrigued. I Wait, was, that's your number two? I Are you number two? Oh, I'm sorry. Oops. Nope. That's my number one. No. <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah, God. you are on number ones, right? Nope. We're on number no, two. We're on Chapin's number two. I'm All sorry. Right, so uh, start over so it doesn't, it's not. Uh, my number two is. Note the time. Uh, what's the time? Hold on. Oh, it's uh, three hours and 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, my number two is um, a man who's been in- mentioned before, but it is Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it seems it, it seems like evident from this movie that I liked it a lot more than you guys did, which is fine. I was, as Jer- using the phrase Jeremy often uses, I was... Uh, you know, completely. What, what do you say, Jeremy? Like, uh, you know, swept up in this movie, um, and uh, I, I think he totally made a hooked hook, line, and sinker. Hook, line, and sinker. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I, it's his first time, and I really admire him. I admire the casting of Lady Gaga. I think was really smart, um, and his performance was great. But I, I think this was just like a really, a really nice job a really great movie um how much how much of do you think or would you give credit to the music in this movie to him well you really need to away? listen to our podcast yeah, yeah that was that was lee's opening question um and i and i and i think after having seen it again i would give a lot to it i also think mm-hmm. like you know lee i've my my answer to that question has evolved a lot since we had that conversation but i do think that like that the music has given this movie life beyond beyond the movie which i think is really powerful For sure. and you know you you guys remember that awful song from from titanic and how much that was that silly Dion song which wasn't even in the movie or a part of the movie yeah you know like became a movement and made that soundtrack which was otherwise just like boring you know instrumentals from the movie like a bestseller and um i you know i think you have to consider all the elements that were put together for this and how hard it was creating the character of Jackson Maine, creating the character of that lady Gaga played, um, creating the music and everything. And I think it was a huge undertaking and I thought the movie was great. And so I think he's going to get credit for that. I, um, well, I, um, I liked a lot of the things he did in this movie and you take the first half of this movie and it's not only amazingly well-directed, but it's the best picture of the year, um, perhaps. I don't know. I'm sort of... Uh, just making that up. <laughs> well, no, I'm sort of just... I, 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 I'm saying that to sort of emphasize how well the first half of that movie worked for me. Um, you know, with, with that, that long date, essentially, and their relationship blossoming. And I just... And I loved it. I loved what he did. And, 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 and Chapin, I, I critiqued and we talked about his, his pacing a bit and how he handles the timelines in this movie. And I yeah. just felt like there were some amateur mistakes made. And, you know, I, I liked what he did. A lot of things I liked what he did. I think he, he really did a good job as a first-time director, but ultimately couldn't make my list. I, I, I by no means disagree um, with anything or, or scoff at the pick. But, um, you know, I just think there were a couple of things there that, you know, just it, he didn't do quite as well as he should have and you know again to to bring it back to the to the oscars briefly there's all this you know nonsense controversy about how bradley cooper wasn't nominated for best director how could that possibly be and i was like well let me but give I, you agree, a few I agree with like, that i agree with that oh see i don't i think it's fine i mean like if i look at the best director nominees i'm like you know okay um you know this is this is you know maybe he doesn't belong um Although I, I don't think seen, he does. Well, I mean, I don't totally agree with all five of the nominees, but I, you know, I would replace obviously with you know based on my list. He doesn't make my list, but um, anyway, like I, again, I think it's. I'm glad you brought him up because I think he did a good job. I think he did. He did a really good job, but he there's nothing. He didn't put like sort of a unique stamp on it. I think he did that with his performance uh, more than the direction, uh, and I think between his performance and the music this movie can really it can really get to you and it can really carry carry the day between those two and it's really all that's needed but uh his direction fell a little flat for me okay all right well someone's direction who didn't fall flat and i don't think this will be in any surprise as i suspect it will be our unanimous number one is alfonso curan for roma yeah yes my number one as well Yep, mine too. Tape and surprise us. Mine too. 
I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we 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 discussed it a lot in the cinematography, and he's come up a lot with whether or not the director uh, is owed credit for some of the performances. I don't know. I I, I I still I'm still after seeing it, having seen this movie twice and having listened to our podcast and thought about it more and more. I I'm still battling kind of the question of whether or not this is his best work, and I don't. I still don't know. I mean, I, I it's, but it's amazing. I, he does such an amazing job. What, what and I, that's a credit to him as a director when you can't decide if this is the best he's ever done. Well, what I love about that question, Lee, is that it, it reminds me of the thoughts I've had about that film, which is that it is really a culmination of all of his work. You know, like you, despite this being like the polar opposite in so many ways of gravity, um, you see, or children like, of men, or, ch- like or anything. Yeah, done. exactly. You, but you see the can you see the connection there? You see the evolution of his movies to this point. And I think um, you know every director or every auteur that is has like that movie that is their most personal film. I think it, it's got to be Magnolia for PTA, and um, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe Pulp Fiction for Tarantino. I'm not sure, but. Um, you know, there, there's those those films that are that are basically just autobiographical, uh, you know, autobiographical, and uh, I, I think that um, this is like an extraordinary version of that, and like it makes sense, and it's smart that he waited till he was a, a very, very experienced and well um, worn filmmaker to make this, and you can see like his the evolution of his work in it, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, to his credit even more is like the arguments I've already made with you guys on this podcast about not having a screenplay and not really crediting the screenplay for anything and having an, a lead actress that I don't really credit for ha- giving a performance. I, I credit Quran for everything. Um, he was in total control of everything in this movie, and it was just so personal and so beautiful. And just if you freeze frame every any part of this movie and you just kind of look at it, you're, it's almost like you're looking at a window into his memory. Um, and, uh, you know, if you go down the list, if you just want to start checking things between the, the you know, the set dressing, the cinematography, um, you know, uh, you know, just whatever you name, it's the costumes, like, it's all perfect. It's all created to, you know, be this one vision that is totally and utterly Qurans. And you just, you've got to be in awe of a director that has, is able to pull that off and also create this beautiful piece of art at the end of the day. All right, so we're finally here. I know everyone's been listening for the last five hours (laughs) to the last two podcasts uh back to back so I, hopefully it's a road trip um but we are finally at the best picture so i have nine nominees which is more than anyone else so i will go first in my number nine is wes anderson's isle of dogs i enjoyed this film a bunch it just it didn't have enough to get any real other nominations but i wanted to mention it and i really uh you know i like wes anderson i know lee you're not your favorite director but it's, it was an enjoyable movie, an interesting um, concept, uh, you know, and uh, worth a mention. Yeah, I saw yeah, it. I thought today. it was extraordinary. I didn't get to it. I was. I actually am looking forward to seeing it, despite my opinion of Wes Anderson, because I've heard such good and, things. And moving on, my number eight is Can You Ever Forgive Me? 
uh, movie we've talked about a couple times. But um, yeah, it was an interesting story, a story I was hesitant to go into because I thought, well, what could be so interesting about somebody who forges letters? But obviously there's more to it and it's really about relationships um, and uh, a struggle for sort of uh, not necessarily fame, but just any sort of um, recognition. So there's my number eight. Number seven is The Rider. Really? A movie that totally took me by surprise. Yes. And I, I, I really enjoyed Okay, Lee, your number seven. I'm glad, well, just briefly, I'm glad you put the rider on. Um, It's one that, you know, obviously we have this freedom to put anywhere from five to ten, and it makes it a little bit difficult to say, okay, where is the line? Um, And I actually had a couple of movies that were flirting with that line, and the rider was one of them. So I'm glad that it it made your official list. Um, Chapin, you're up. Oh, I'm up? No, I'm, I, get, I only I get, have six. I get to go last. I only have six, so you have to go. Oh, that's right. So my number seven is what we need, right? Okay. Yeah. My number seven is If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, like I said before, this is I, 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 I'm basing this on my, my initial reaction of this movie, which is that I really liked it. Um, which you I saw loved, with the sound off. <laughs> with the sound <laughs> off. Um, it, look, I also, I also can't totally you know, deny the fact that I feel a little bit the same way as you guys where it's become a bit forgettable. Um, but like, I, you know, I, I just loved the relationship between, between, uh, Kiki Lane and Stefan James in this movie. And I just think it was, it was so interesting to watch. And the fact that I was just like begging for them to get back together and for everything to work out the whole movie, I think is a credit to the movie. And I, and I got to give it credit for that. And, you know, perhaps upon second viewing or even more time, it will become more forgettable. And, you know, this number seven will become, you know, lost in the history books. But um, I think I my felt like it deserved mentioning with it. Ultimately, at the end of the day was like, what was that scene? What was that moment? What was like, where was it that this movie you know stood out at any so it it sort of in a way was a paint by numbers film oh i don't think so at all and i even have a scene i think the scene on the corner with the cop was what what elevated i thought thought again that that took it from just an interesting you know and and compelling relationship to uh this you know social justice issue that i was now invested in now i i was like this is wrong he needs to get out and and i will say that you know i think perhaps there was a very pivotal scene, Jeremy, and Chapin, maybe you can speak better to this because you heard it, the scene with Brian Tyree Henry, that we had a hard time with the audio and missed a bit of the impact of that that could have you know, made a difference there, and that could be perhaps that scene. But I, I think paint by, totally wasn't paint by number. I love the way it was structured and how you know the relationship was in, it, it was in the flashbacks and the present. I mean, it was, was a nice totally... paint by number. Like, you, you know, you got, a, it, you got a beautiful picture out of it in the end of the day, but I don't think there was anything extraordinarily interesting. I mean, here, can I just, I just look this up real quick. So you, you say that, Lee, about that scene. Now this, this took place around the same time that Black Klansman did in terms of the setting of when it was early 70s. And do you really feel like that rings true to the same environment that they were talking about in in uh, what I believe to be a little bit more nuanced representation of that time period in Black Klansman? Uh, I don't know that it was more nuanced, but I felt like it was more impactful. I mean, really, yeah, that this like evil cop is 
at least he made him evil. The fucking KKK was a bunch of goofballs in in Black Clansman. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? Why? Why? Because there's no stakes in that. At least, if, yeah, the, even if you have to exaggerate it, and I it's agree, almost scarier I, when they're they're goofballs rather than they're just no, pure evil, and you know where it's going. No, because the whole even if you have to exaggerate, at least the evil cop in Beale Street created a a sense of of stakes. At least you realize like this is what they're up against, and like I said, it's exaggerated. And I agree that that character probably doesn't work well and was poorly and thinly drawn, but like. The, the there was like who like who couldn't fool the KKK in in Black Klansmen like they were a bunch of morons like here you at least had somebody that was threatening even if it wasn't painted perfectly like it, the point got across better I guess I guess my my point my my issue with Beale Street overall and it was particularly I mean you 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 guys talked about your most disappointing of the year this has got to be my most disappointing of the year is that a filmmaker who I felt like so you know immaculately captured the subtlety of the human experience and nuanced the human experience just painted in such broad strokes for this movie yeah, that scene in general you that scene you you talked about Lee with the cop evil evil good evil love it was just like big bright bold colors and no subtlety okay and i think that that's a fair point but to me that was a secondary storyline and even if it's not painted perfectly that's not what defines the movie like what defines this movie is the relationship which was done i thought really really well and 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 that's that was the biggest takeaway the added element of that scene with the cop was to invest you into the, the the plight of the main characters and like to the and to put you in their shoes in terms of like trying to undo this injustice and even if it wasn't done perfectly well that scene did uh, allow me to get invested in that i don't know i i think it lacks some energy on all all fronts i feel like it needed a little bit it needed a shake up okay all right jeremy do you want to hit us with your number six <laughs> yes, and this is its third fixie nomination. It is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look, I'm allowed to, every once in a while, I'm allowed to just really enjoy a movie. Of course. And I ha- had that experience with Mission Impossible Fallout. It oh, was... God. <laughs> I can't believe I had to just defend myself on if Beale Street could talk, and you have Mission Impossible Fallout at number six. At, at number six, yeah, because... You don't even know why. <laughs> no, it's it's like, what else do you say other than, like, oh, on these big sort of action movies when they're well done and you just sort of get taken for a ride and it's not really about the plot, but you do have, you are invested in these characters that you now know over several movies. Um, and, you know, it, it feels like there's, you know, they're, ha- they're you know, plot lines are followed. There's some conclusion. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's what I got out of it. I got a good theatrical experience out of Mission Impossible Fallout, and especially these days where everything's on Netflix and everything's coming straight to your your TV, it's nice to go to a theater and have that experience every once in a while, so you don't forget it. I will agree with that, but I do think it's important to point out because it does feel like we're still at sort of the beginnings of these lists. Because Chapin, you haven't gone yet, and I've only had one. But this is Jeremy has three movies behind this. Mm-hmm. For the, for the best of the year, pathetic. Please, Chapin, tell me number six is possible. <laughs> no, I mean it, it, it did not make my list, but I, I will say that, like, I mean, 
if we're being honest, this is the movie I, I have already seen and will for the rest of my life. Like four will, times. Will yeah. be the movie I have seen the most from this year. So, I mean, yeah, who are we kidding? I, bu- I bought it on 4K Blu-ray. It's the only movie I've bought. <laughs> <laughs> and I've already watched that goddamn running scene like 15 times. So, I mean. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm just not pretending anymore. No, it's Maybe good. it's my old I li- I age. It. Like, no, I'm just yeah. not pretending. <laughs> Yeah, Mission Impossible snuck in just ahead of the seventh seal. And guess what? There's the the re-release of the seventh seal. There's two more coming, baby. Yes. Well, I think also part of it has been really disappointed in the other ones. And this one this one really kicked ass. So. Oh, see, I like the other ones better. The, the, the carbon copy of it that came a couple years before right, Fallout, uh, that, I that's, a, that's another podcast right there. Okay. Okay. My number right, six. Taping, finally. My number, number six, six is the favorite. Um and I'm really disappointed because, as we talked about before we started rolling today, it, it really is a meaningless vote because it doesn't get any points. But um, right, and I almost wanted to change it out. But um, and as I said, like these are all movies that I loved, and this is just the one I loved the least. But it was such a good ride, such a surprising thing. And in a way, though it is the lowest on my list, I feel like it is in a way like the definitive movie of this year for me. Interesting. All right. Uh, now the ones that count. These are the yep. real. This is the real quiz. Here we go. <laughs> this is the real quiz. Yep. <laughs> Number five, Jeremy. Oh, I start. Yes. Okay. Uh, my number five is eighth grade. Great. I mean, I feel like we've talked. Yeah, about we've run out of things to enough. say about it. But... Yeah, that. You know, what else is there to say? I have. I have something we could say. Sure. Um, well, I you know we we had that question. Good. We had that question last week or two weeks ago, um, comparing this uh, eighth grade with um, Lady Bird, and I had a I, I listened back to it. and I wish I had said this when we talked about this, but I, I think that question always goes back to you know uh, uh, something that I wrestle with on this podcast all the time, which is like how do you define how good a film is? You know, and like I I you know we just talked about enjoy Mission Impossible. Um, and I think that we enjoyed it despite a lot of a lot of errors or a lot of a lot of things that weren't good. Um, but like eighth grade is such a just a is is such a well executed movie that I just you know I just did not I found it very cringeworthy and I just didn't like enjoy watching it. But that doesn't mean you know or I should say I enjoyed watching um, um, Lady Bird more. But the fact is that eighth grade was a better movie. It was just. Yeah. better executed you know what i mean and this is such yep. it's such a moral thing yeah. for me that i struggle with yeah. but no it it's, 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 it's not lists. quite to the level of you know a great movie you never want to see again like you know uh the irreversible type movie. yeah like it's not that level but there is this like awkwardness of it that you don't want to watch but it's so well executed that it's credit to the movie yeah yeah okay sorry all right my number six, right? No, that was eighth grade is my number five. Oh, I never got to my number six. Yeah, you, you moved us along, Lee. I don't know what. Yeah, it was that was on you. Oh, my bad. So should I just just do your get number six? Do your number six. Just do your number six. <laughs> Minding and then the do gap. Your number five. Minding the gap. Okay. My number six, which I su- I suspect we'll talk about some more. So. Okay. Do you want to go last? So do you want me to go now? Well, no, because now it's uh right, right, yeah. So it's your turn. Okay. All right. Do you have my eighth grade marked? Five. One point. Yeah, I do. Okay. I have okay. it. My number five is First Man. Okay. Well, 
Yeah, look, you know, I think you're standing by your opinions from when we first discussed it on the podcast. Um, you know, you liked it. I did not. It was uh, one of our one of our few, like, straight-up disagreements over the course of the year. Yeah, it'd be interesting to relitigate it when uh, Jeremy sees it. Yes. All right. Yes. My number five is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs from Joel and Ethan Cohen. Um, again, another movie we've talked about quite a bit so far. Uh, I just I just think, you know, for them to basically tell, what is it, six different stories that all fall within the same genre but like and have similar themes sort of, but, you know, all work on their own, but this still works as a whole movie. Like you can watch it as a whole movie, but you can also, like I said, watch each individual one. It's just a kind of credit to their mastery. I don't really know what else we can say about them. Um I wonder if they're going to keep working with Netflix and keep... I wonder if this is like a one-off because it was so unique in that it's a bunch of short stories and they're like, oh, that kind of fits better for Netflix. Or if they're going to keep working with Netflix and we're going to see features out of them come straight to to your TV. I had had this idea that I I was thinking about running by... uh, What's his name? Reed Reed Hastings. Is he still on Netflix? Yeah. um, Well, he's CEO, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that they should have like some sort of like card that if you're a Netflix subscriber, you can see the Netflix movies in theaters for free. That would get them more subscribers. Don't say that out loud. That's a good idea, isn't it? No, I know it's a good idea. That's why I don't say it out okay, loud. Cut that out of the podcast, Jeremy. I don't think that's I mean, a good. I don't think. I mean, I think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea for Netflix, but. But you don't think that that would that would encourage more subscriptions? No. Really? <laughs> not a, well, not, not at all. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's what Reed thought too. Okay. Jeremy, number four. My my number four is a movie you just mentioned, Lee. It is Minding the documentary Minding the Gap. Do we want to talk about yeah, that let's now? Talk about this it is probably the only movie we haven't mentioned it. That we haven't talked about. Um Chapin was the one who suggested us to watch it. Uh man, what what a emotional roller coaster talk about a movie that started small and expanded like we we have this these three adolescent skateboarders that we're following and it kind of starts as a movie this is from bing lu who won best who got yeah. best cinematography nod that's the only time we've heard from him so far this uh yeah exactly podcast. and the movie the movie starts like it's going to be uh sort of about the the life of skaters, which really doesn't interest me very much, but it really turns into this thing about, um, without sounding too pretentious, it's about like masculinity uh, and growing up as a man nowadays, and what is what are your responsibilities, and um, you know, especially for these kids who are coming from sort of lower incomes, and how how do you escape? Uh, escape that and and it it sort of expands into the issues of domestic abuse and how these three sort of best friends take very different uh you know uh, paths in their lives when it comes to this sort of thing and you know it was one the one movie this year that really got to me like i really you know it got dusty in the theater or on my couch i should say uh watching this movie um 
which was super impressive. Really impressed with what they did with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't, oh, sorry, Lee. Go ahead. Well, I don't know that I responded to this movie on, on upon while I was watching it quite that much, but this was this had to be one of the most, or if not the most, thought provoking movie for me that I saw this year, and the most long long lasting thought provoking movie. Like. You know, I, I can't get some of these shots and conversations out of my head that they mm-hmm. have in this movie. And I think that's amazing. And I just think, I don't know, it's just so intimate. And, like, you get, like, for these guys that know they're on camera, you get such genuine reactions and responses from Because them. they're friends. That's the great thing about it. It's like the, the filmmaker, um, what's his name, Bing Lu? Yeah. Um, he's friends with these guys. He's part of it. He's one of the three boys in this. And... He has a very non-judgmental eye. As much as you as an audience member may want to judge some of these guys, he doesn't. And I think that's really important to sort of get to the bottom of a lot of these problems is to just sort of see it unfold. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, you mentioned uh, it getting dusty on your laptop or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I I am kind of famously a very uh, cynical film viewer i'm not i don't like to emote in a movie theater and i think you know i am uncomfortable with people crying in public um but when i saw this movie i was gasping for air um i had my hand over my mouth um it was the most emotional experience i can remember having um while watching a movie and it's a documentary um yeah i showed this to my to my to my work actually um and I had the same reaction you did. You know, I, 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 we, we are, we kind of work, you know, with in the subject matter that the, that a lot of these issues um, from the film have to do with. And so I showed it to them and I hadn't seen it and, and it started and it was like all about these skaters and they were swearing a lot. And I was like, Oh God, like what have I gotten us into? And then, you know, it culminates into this amazing film um, about these three characters who are, um, I, you know, not actually quite as connected as I, <clears throat> as I thought that they were, um, having researched the film a little bit more, but I think that even speaks to being lose, um, you know, power as a director, even more, um, that you feel that they are. Um, I think the three characters are, 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 you know, some of the most compelling of this year and they're real people. They weren't written. Um, and finally, I, I think, um, especially for me, the Zach. Character, yeah, Zach is the yeah, absolutely sort of borderline villain in like when it comes to like characterizing movie characters. Oh yeah, um, and, and finally, like I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I um, I kind of forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was just in, I, 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 you know, you, I, I was reminded a little bit of of Boyhood. Like this was almost like a real life Boyhood, right? Like you have all this yeah, footage yeah. of these kids yeah. when they were younger, and you see them grow up, and I mean. Uh, I was always a little dubious of that, of, you know, what, what, when we, we actually, you know, we reviewed that film, Boyhood, I was a little bit dubious of that, um, of the sort of the gimmick, for lack of a better word. And it, it, it it's not a gimmick here. It works so well. It's their real life. And so, um, yeah, it was a, incredibly moving for me. Yeah, and the sympathy that you're still able to get for all these guys, even Zach, almost especially Zach, when things start turning. Um, cause you, because of that, because you've seen him throughout and you, you feel like, you know, you've known him since he was younger mm-hmm. and it's, and it gets really dark and, you know, I, I, maybe it was just me, but I never lost the sympathy for him no. despite some of the more horrific things that happen. Um, 
and and that's you know you got to give give a lot of credit to Bing Liu the filmmaker for for capturing that and for having the patience to do it too throughout all those years and to wait like to he put does it together yeah yeah when do you decide I always wonder that about these documentaries like when do you decide enough is enough let's finish this yeah it's really interesting and it's also interesting this day and age because we're we're living in a world and these kids are you know grew up in a world where everyone has cameras and so much is on film um that you know you can it it makes it it's easier for them to just sort of react to cameras yeah yeah so that's true all, All right. right. Chapin, we're on your number four. My number four is The Ballad of Old Buster Scruggs. We've talked enough about it. I don't think I need to say anything more about it. But, yeah, I it was such an enjoyable experience, you know. And Moving yep. on. Um, yeah, yeah no, that's it. Of course. Um, all right. And my number four is Burning, um, a movie that we've talked a little bit about throughout. Chapin, you had a couple acting nominations. I had a... Cinematography nomination comes from director Chang Dong Lee. Um, not sure if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, this was a surprise for me, for sure. I mean, this was one of those that I sort of was scrolling down the Metacritic best of the year lists and saw that it was available to rent and checked it out. Two and a half hour Korean movie. But man, it did not feel that long at all. Like, I thought this was excellent. I loved the noirness of it. I loved the mystery of it. I loved the characters. Um, it's a beautiful movie and um, it's one I absolutely recommend people take the time to see. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of it's really just three characters in this movie. Like you really don't see anybody else. Uh, and he does such a good job at just making you kind of follow them and be interested in in what they're trying to uncover and in the mystery maybe is a bit far-fetched but it didn't i thought it was so, that sort of in a good way it worked um and i just liked where it went and uh i thought the end was a great payoff that's so interesting that you say that lee because i was watching this film last night and i mean i am pretty sick so maybe my 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 head isn't in the right spot but i was feeling i was like you know i'm having a lee watching uh the tree of life move experience right now it's long and like i i um wasn't quite sure what the movie was about or what it was trying to say um i do think you know nearly 24 hours later it's it's lingering which i think speaks to its power um but I was ultimately, I think, a little confused by the film. Um, but I think it's worth seeing. And Jeremy, I'd be interested to see once you get around to. S- you haven't seen it, right? No, I haven't. To think, yet. seeing I, what you think about it. I also like, and maybe it wasn't a coincidence. Maybe I just always do this. But the the next day after I saw it, I found myself as I'm driving around for work. I must have driven past like 15 greenhouses, yeah. and I was like, oh, I can't wait to burn that down. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, moving on number to threes? number threes. Wow, top threes. Okay, uh, my number three is a movie that sounds like we kind of disagree on a bit, but it is Black Klansman. Wow. Spike Lee joint, number three movie of the year. Look, this movie worked for me. We talked about on the actual podcast how even the end, the integration of the the uh, the footage, he just he made that work. Um it was simultaneously impactful and fun. It was just a masterful filmmaking job by Spike Lee. Uh, and it's a movie that I actually look forward to revi- revisiting. 
Wow. Yeah, it wasn't one that made my list. Uh, it wasn't really even in consideration. Um, I didn't dislike this movie, and I, you know, I, I had, I, I felt like it was cathartic in a way as well uh, as you did, Jeremy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think keeping with your opinion on the podcast, this is you responded <laughs> to this for sure. Um. Uh, yeah, it didn't make my list, but I will say, um, and I mentioned this a, a couple of podcasts ago, but before seeing Minding the Gap, that last connection with um, showing the real footage from Charlottesville was the most, up to that point, the most moving thing I had seen on screen the whole year. Um, and I still think it's it's an important sequence. And I, I was a little dubious at, at the end, being like, well, it's sort of weird that he's connecting it back to this you know seemingly unrelated event but then you realize that david duke was there and this character who you've seen you know comedically represented by topher grace is now this real person still 40 years later you know in in the political conversation yeah Yeah. okay is it my turn uh my turn is my number three is minding the gap great all right and my number three is Eighth Grade from wow. Bo Burnham. Like I said, I'm so glad I watched this movie again. Um, yeah. Like, this is this could have gone either way. This could have been a disaster. But it's it's not. It's great. <laughs> it's interesting that you had such a, like, usually on a second viewing, especially that close together. Yeah, either affirms Your opinion or, can yeah. change, but it's not. like you. It sounds like you had a total 180 on oh, this movie. God. Well, I didn't dislike it the first time. It just didn't resonate with me. But the second time, yeah. I'm like, my God, this is good. Like, I just sort of, I think I just kind of, uh, like, looked at it different. Like, the first time I watched it, I, I, I found it cringeworthy. And I found it, you know, awkward. And I, it, I didn't see it for kind of the achievement that it was. And the second time around, I was able, I knew I was, I didn't have to worry about, you know, dealing with the painful awkwardness of, you know, her telling this kid under the desk that she's got naked pictures of herself and like the, the scene with the banana. Like I didn't have to. I didn't, she's so funny. Yeah. I know it's brilliant, like it. but I didn't have, but the first time around I'm watching that. I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. Don't say that. Don't do that. And it's almost borderline distracting from like what this movie is actually accomplishing. Uh, but the second time around, I don't have to deal with that. And I just am looking at it and saying, wow, like what a great job. What an amazing movie. I, I thought this is so good. Yeah, I'm glad to see it up there. It's, uh, Chapin, it hasn't been on your list, right? No. All right, but it's got some points. Yep, it's got three points. Got some points going into the final round here. All right, Jeremy, your number My number two. two uh, it's probably not going to be any surprise from all the talk we've had so far but it is Roma Alfonso Caron um, yeah we've run yeah, out of things to say about it I've praised this movie enough I think um, the, I think the only thing missing for me that doesn't make it a perfect masterpiece was is a semblance of relatability for myself yeah um, I can see that and I you know and that's a, obviously a personal thing and really shouldn't take anything away from the movie, but you know those great movies that you you know you name as your top, whatever, fifty, twenty-five ever. There's you find some something that's more personal for it. In Roma, I couldn't couldn't quite get there, but you know it's a masterpiece. It's number two on my list. Uh, number two is a Star's Board, for me. Wow, that high. Yep. I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm a little disappointed in 
that it's not higher on your guys' list. And I'm disappointed that it's not getting the awards attention that I think it should be. But, you know, if you if you think of this movie in the context of, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody winning a lot of awards and the, uh, yeah. Green Book winning a lot of awards, you know, like this is a very commercial and I think, you know, um, a movie that people I think love, you know, I, when I saw it for the second time, it was in a small movie theater and I sat next to these two women who were there who knew the songs and were, oh, and I, I jokingly said to Katie, like, uh, this, this is the sing-along showtime, right? Where, you know, we all sing along to it. And the ladies next to me were like, yeah, that sounds great. And I'm like, you know, and so I, you're like, the, the, I was kidding, bitch. The, I was like, you better not sing. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but like the fact that this movie is so appealing and so commercial, but also is like you know still quite it's dark good, yeah. and you know a good movie and you know speaks about you know in, you know interesting and meaningful things and I also think it's probably the most timeless movie that we uh, um of of at least the my favorites this year and um yeah I don't know I I, I wonder if it'll it'll rise up on your guys' lists over time but um maybe it won't. The, or lower look, on this list. is a movie that it's, uh, and again, I I find myself thinking about a lot, and I find myself really remembering fondly. And but I have to like sort of, it, it's oddly I have to like force myself to remind myself of the flaws in it, and that's why it didn't make my list because of those flaws. Um, but everything you said is right. Like it's a, I, I, I love when movies are, you know, commercial movies are also good. You know, the inceptions of the world. Like, it, yeah, I, I've always hated the stigma that, you know, Hollywood is terrible. Only watch independent films. Like, I just think that's just not true. But, you know, and and that's an example of one. Well, I know myself and I know that. Like movies like A Star is Born with the music can manipulate me. Well, and totally like, does. I can yeah. totally fall into that. And I did for that movie. But I also know it. it that's what it is. And I could. You know, I could see that the story and the dialogue and even some of the performances, which we, I guess we disagree on, but fell a little flat. I mean, it were predictable, especially the story. It's like, you know what's going to happen. You know that, you know, where Lady Gaga's character is going to go and how that uh, trajectory is going to, you know, unfold. Yeah, to the title. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's where I had the issues with it. But, you know, it is a super enjoyable movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. All right, Lee, number two. My number two is Roma, Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, my God. Now I don't. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Where's it going? All right. From here. Okay. On to dun, our dun, dun, dun. number one's best films All of the right. year. The fix seed should go to The Favorite, my number one film of the year. Wow. Um,. Chapin, like you said yourself, as your number six pick, this is probably the quintessential film for me as well for this year. Um, you know, it has a director that's unique, that's, you know, screwed up, that has uh, a very interesting vision, and it has three great performances and has a structured screenplay that works, that culminates beautifully. And for me, that's gonna that's gonna do it. That's gonna be my favorite of the year. Wow. Um, my number one is Roma. Um, to me, this was just far and away uh, an experience I was 
swept up in. And, um, you know, I think it all goes back to uh, I, I was reading an article about the editing of the film and someone had made a diagram of the house that they live in. And and I realized that, like, I knew it. I knew the di- I knew the house. I knew where everybody was. You know, and like that was a real house. It was a real house. It was a real house. Um, That I think they might have modified a little bit, but um, I, you know, I knew I knew where everything was, and like that sense of space and place and is so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just I'm trying to get anybody I can to see this movie. I think it's a shame that more people haven't seen it, and I hope that it when it does win Best Picture that people will see it. It's so easy to see, Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it was an extraordinary film. Or if it, or if it wins the fixie, which that's what he means by best pick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah best fix, yeah, best yeah. fixie. Yeah, which it's it's looking uh, just at first glance that it that it may. Um, all right, my number one just will probably stir up some controversy. I'm ready to defend myself, but I want to preface this quickly. Mission Impossible. Fallout. Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> to say that it is very possible. That 19 months ago, had I seen this movie, I would feel very differently, and you guys can connect the dots when I tell you that my number one of the year is Beautiful Boy. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. So look, Wait, was the I, favorite I, even on your list? No. Oh, my God. I didn't love that movie. Look, all right. Um, we all have different number explain ones. Explain yourself. I, I, just think, I just think this movie like resonated with me and hit me in a way that no other movie did all year. And, and, and like I said, 19 months ago, before I had a son of my own, I feel like I would have felt very differently, but to watch this movie and to see, especially before miles did all those drugs. Right. Exactly. Um, but to see (laughs) this kid's upbringing being, you know, seemingly just fine and loving parents and to still fall into this is so scary. And, you know, it's, it's, portrayed really well and i think very in a very moving way in a very powerful way in this movie i love the use of music and sometimes a movie just needs to rely on great characters and this has it and i actually think steve carell is good in this movie um and timothy chalamet is is the best performance i've seen in years it's unreal how good he is and that elevates a performance and that can elevate a movie and it does here but like i said mar tyranny and amy ryan are amazing in this movie as well um, I, I honestly, and I even think this movie has some flaws. I think it's maybe a half hour too long. Um, but uh, you know, regardless, this, this movie just hit me and I just, like I said, I don't. So I, I think for you, it's the opposite of what I just said about Roma. Like I, I, Roma's totally. a, like amazing movie, but I just can't find a personal, I can't find as personal aspect, totally. but I feel for you, it's just about the personal well, no, aspect. I mean, the I movie think it's a well-made is, movie too. I don't, I don't want to discredit that. Like I think he uses music really well. And look, this movie is super melodramatic, but I, I don't, I a lot of times don't think that's always a bad thing. Um, I think if the movie calls for it, then go for it. Hit, hit up the melodrama. But, um, uh, and you know, so, so Lee, I'm surprised like the director didn't make your directing list, did they? It, it, it almost did. Um, in fact, um, Chloe Zhao, I just saw the writer. She bumped him off. Um, Cause this is, this is much like, much like the infamous, um, cemetery junction, neither bet, director I mean, or the it, screenplay made the, made your list. No screenplay did. Oh, it screenplay did. Was my number was my number four. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I had a feeling that might come up for some reason. <laughs> um, 
I've since seen Cemetery Junction. This is a way better movie than Cemetery Junction. I wonder if you're going to say that <laughs> in five years. <laughs> the eighth annual Fixies podcast. Yeah. You guys you guys aren't giving this movie enough credit. Um, no, I, I, you didn't let me say what I wanted to say about that film. But like, I, okay. I, I, I was surprised by how much I liked this movie. Um, you know, I felt it was like it used these kind of, you know, hackneyed kind of means to get there but i really i really enjoyed it and i was surprised how much i enjoyed it and what i meant when i said it was an easy watch is that it had these like nice musical moments it was filmed very beautifully it wasn't like a it wasn't like burning where you're where you're kind of for me where i you know i didn't really you know there wasn't a lot of subtlety there but you weren't trying to you know weren't kind of waiting for the movie to reveal itself to you it was there and i was like i was kind of i was i was definitely moved by it so i i just you know and and we talked about the scene where Mara Tierney chases him and that being one of the more powerful scenes in the movie and it is but then you, you, you there's a lot of those you have the the scene where he tells him that you know he can't come home that he you know he's he's taking that stand and then there's the scene where he's talking to Amy Ryan and she says he's going to die if we don't help him he says he's going to die anyway I'm like oh my god this is just painful and I just did you watch this alone or did you watch Oh it my god me and Lydia saw this in the theater Jesus. So you guys were just, it got dusty in that oh theater. Oh my God, man. We couldn't get home fast enough to see Miles. Like, and it, it's, and I've seen it, I watched it again and I just, I, I don't know. I, yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Like this is a movie that I had a connection to. Um, and for that reason, it, it it's higher on my list, but I, I do want to give this movie credit and, and Felix Van Groningen is a director and yeah, he just missed my list. He was on it until, um, I, I had to give Chloe Zhao credit for what she did with all these uh, non-actors. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I thought this movie was amazing. And Timothy Chalamet, not nominated for an Oscar, for fuck's sake. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I will definitely agree with you on that part of it. <laughs> all right, are we going to do this? Are we going to wrap it up? <laughs> Wait, who, what, what, did Roma win? Oh, let me see. Uh, and the fixie goes to... Roma. Ooh, who was second? Uh, second was actually, I think, uh, Minding the Gap. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, with that's five fair. points. Roma was kind of a runaway. Um, Chapin was the only one that had it at the number one spot. Um, yeah, our best pictures were all over the place uh, in terms of our rankings. Um, Minding the Gap was my number six, but the, no points for that. Eighth no grade had awarded. four points. Um, Buster Scruggs had three points. What about the favorite? The favorite is favorite. A... The favorite only had five. Jeremy's number one, but it was your number six, Chapin. Well, that's pretty high still. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Rome, Roma had Roma ended up with uh, uh, thirteen points. Well, this, well, there you have Roma's the big winner. Roma had three wins, I think. So Roma, just to recap everything here for everybody, best picture of the year, Roma. Yep. Best director Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. Best actor Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born. Best actress Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Best screenplay Buster Scruggs, Ballad of Buster Scruggs from The Coens. Best supporting actress Rachel Weisz for The Favorite. Best supporting actor Timothy Chalamet in Beautiful Boy and Best Cinematography Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. So I everything I said except supporting actor one, brilliant. I'm happy with that list. Uh, oh, Chapin's the real winner. Real winner. <laughs> yeah, great job, Chapin. All right, so that's gonna wrap it up for this 
amazing edition of the Get, Get Your Film Fix podcast, the Fixie Awards, the real awards. Forget about the Oscars. These are the real ones. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, if you have any uh, disagreements, agreements, um, please let us know. Email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. And we will uh, be back with a new episode, hopefully, next week. Introducing Thanks. 2019. Yes, it'll be the first of the 2019s. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.